Can you imagine, or maybe I should say rather, can you identify with how Hudson Taylor must have felt after so many years of planning and praying and preparing to go to China, following what he has understood for years to be the call and the will of God, and he finds himself sitting in the ocean at the mercy of a current that possibly is going to take him into a bunch of rocks and destroy the ship. And the ship captain says, we've done all we can do. we got a hope against hope. And Hudson Taylor says, those of us that are Christians, it is not over till you pray. In fact, when you pray, it's just getting started. And so they go to their compartments and the ship, and they begin to pray and to seek the face of the Lord. And I love the way Hudson Taylor comes out of his compartment, walks up to the deck captain, and he says, lower the sail, God is going to send wind. Think about that. 21-year-old young man, lower the sail, God is going to send wind. And then Hudson Taylor says, can't you feel the breeze? The guy says, I like just some little old puff. Listen, when God answers, he usually starts small, and then he gets big. And Hudson Taylor says, you better lower that sail because God is getting ready to blow his wind into it. So they lower that sail, and sure enough, the wind begins to hit it, and the ship begins to move. Folks, when it comes to doing and living the will of God, the only way we're going to get there is by hope. When we lose hope, we stop living in the will of God. When we lose hope, we give up on following the Lord. When we lose hope, we resign ourselves to just letting life go by us. We give up. We're just enduring. We're just surviving. But when we live in the hope that God provides, when we begin to live in that hope, we will discover that whatever we're facing, whatever we're up against, know that when you seek the face of God that we don't hope against hope. We hope in anticipation of what God is going to do. We live looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. We are expecting God who maybe one wind has stopped in your life, but God is getting ready to blow another wind in your life, one that you will identify as His breath, as His work. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to see what it means to live in hope. Chuck Swindoll likes, likes to say, you can live without anything, but you cannot live five minutes without hope. Paul is going to talk here in Romans chapter 12 about what it means to live in the hope that God has for us. He writes here to the Christians who were living at Rome. As he would have written this letter, no doubt his mind would have moved through the city of Rome. If you entered the city of Rome in those days, you went past a tremendous arch called the Prota Capina. The arch was perpetually dripping with the water of an aqueduct that fed it. It was this tremendous arch upon which the victorious generals of Rome with their troops, their legions, would pass underneath. It was the same place where the emperors would have passed. 
And no doubt he would have thought about that arch for it stood out in the mighty city of Rome, the capital of the known world in those days. But his mind also, as he penned these words, would have wandered across the Tiber River to a different part of town, known as the Trusveri. The Trusveri was referred to derisively as the ghetto of Rome. It was located across the river from where we know today to be where the Parthenon is, the arch I just referred to, the Colosseum, etc. On this side of the river was the power of Rome and the wealth of Rome. On the other side of the Tiber River were where the poor lived. The folks that couldn't afford to live in the nice part of town and the folks who lived and served often as the slaves of the people who lived on the other side of the river. We say today somebody living on the wrong side of the tracks. Well, in Rome in those days, you lived on the wrong side of the river. And yet Christianity, when it came to the city of Rome, found its first audience and took its first rootage in that poor section of the city. That's where the first believers lived. And no doubt it was to these folks that Paul had in mind, people who had no hope on this side, no hope as they looked across the river and saw the power of Rome and knew that they were at best slaves to that power. But Paul says to them, you've got hope. You've got hope in this life and you've got hope in the next life and I'm going to tell you what that hope is about. Romans chapter 12 and let's look at verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Notice the three. They all hinge off of the first word, the first verb. Rejoice in hope. Second verb, be patient in tribulation. Third verb, be constant in prayer. Now, when you interpret Scripture and apply Scripture, look either for the verbs or the nouns, because most of the passages and the sentences evolve around the action or the state of being of the verbs. He's got three action verbs here. I want you to be rejoicing, I want you to be patient, and I want you to be constant. All of them cue off of the first word there, rejoice, first command, rejoice in hope. Now, my sermon outline is printed, third page of your bulletin. I invite you, if you would, to follow along with me. All three of these are in the present tense in the Greek language of which this was originally written, and it means be in the habit of rejoicing. In other words, the habit of your life, the characteristic of your life should be joy. Be in the habit of rejoicing. Have a lifestyle of rejoicing. Don't let the people and the circumstances of your life keep you from rejoicing. Years ago, I had a, a leader and a former pastor that I was going through a difficult time, and I'll never remember, forget what Fred said to me. He looked at me, and he said, David, don't let it steal your joy. Don't let it steal your joy. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy and I think part of what Satan comes into our lives to steal from us is to steal our joy from us. How many of us right now are caught in a set of circumstances that we feel like we are powerless to deal anything with, we can't seem to change them, and it's robbing us of joy? 
How many of you have got a person in your life, hopefully it's not the person you're married to, but a person in your life that is stealing you of joy? I will not ask for an amen on that statement, all right? But how many of us have got places in our lives where joy is being taken from us? The thief has come to do what? To take the rejoicing out of our life, to take the smile off of our face, to take the energy out of your step, to make life seem almost like a slavish existence. Paul says here, rejoice where? Don't rejoice in the people. Don't rejoice in the circumstances. He says rejoice in hope. Now, what is hope? Hope is not wishful thinking. The hope that he's talking about here is not that I say, well, I hope things turn out okay. I'm praying they turn out okay. I think they might turn out okay. This hope is the anticipation of what God is going to do. Hope and faith are two sides of the same coin. You see, when he says rejoice in hope, what he's saying here is that you and I can live in a daily anticipation of what God is going to do. It's the idea that when I get up in the morning, instead of looking at all the problems and all the headaches and all the situations we got to encounter, how many of you get up in the morning and you start thinking about all the things you're facing and you get tired before you can get out of the bedroom? Breakfast is a drag because you know what is following breakfast. Your energy drink isn't even getting you energized for what's coming ahead. In fact, you probably look at your energy drink and think, man, I ain't going to up the mountain and get some of that Franklin County brew. And that, maybe that'll get me energized and getting ready to go. <laughs> I should have got an amen off of that one. But we're on camera, so I know you can't give me an amen on that one. It is rather the idea that I get up in the morning and I say, you know, yeah, all the problems are there, all the situations, all the obstacles. I'm not living in denial of them. But I know this morning when I get up and step out of my bedroom that God is present, God is at work, and I am living in anticipation of what the Lord is going to do. I am living this day looking for some divine surprises, how God's going to show up in my life and do some things that I didn't anticipate. I'm going to ask the Lord to help me discern what He's doing so I can join Him in that. My hope is not based on people. It is not fixed on my circumstances. My hope is fixed on Christ. Now, I want to draw our attention to several passages of Scriptures. First of all, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. Listen to what he says here, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. For all the promises of God, notice what he says there, all the promises of God. He used to have a professor who used to say to a celebrity, all means all, and that all, that's all all means. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, that is in Jesus, that is why it is through Jesus that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Paul is saying here, all God's promises find their yes in Jesus, and through Jesus we say amen to everything that God's doing. In other words, Lord, you're fulfilling the promises, and my response to your action is, God, I'm joining you. Lord, amen to what you're doing. Now, let's look at a few of those promises. And I tell you, it was hard this morning and this weekend cutting some of these promises down. I mean, we got a Bible filled with them, okay? Well, let me review just a few of them. The first promise, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So that means in Christ Jesus, whatever need is in my life, 
God has committed himself to fulfilling that need. You bring the need to him and you say, Lord, help me to discern how you're going to fulfill that need. The book of Psalms, this is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise, your promise, Lord, has given me life. Whatever I'm going through in life, Lord, your promise has given me life, has given me hope, has given me the energy to just to keep on, Lord, and to keep on with a smile that you put on my face. Scripture says also another promise, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The promise there, the righteous run into it and they are safe. Whatever I face, whatever comes against me, I'm going to face it in the name of Jesus. I'm going to walk in victory in the name of Jesus. I'm going to walk and pray in the power of the name of Jesus. Your name, Lord, is a strong tower, and I'll run into it, and I am safe. And one of my favorite promises, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when we gather for worship, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in their midst. Do you realize what he's promising? Jesus said, we're here this morning. We're gathered in his name, and he's here. He didn't say, I'll be here if the singing is what you like. He didn't say, I'll be there if the preaching is good or bad. He didn't say, I'll be there if the heat or the air condition is, you know, just right or the building looks pretty. He said, if there's two or three of you gathered there in my name, there I am. Oh, my gracious, how many times do we get together in church and we're focusing on everything but Jesus because we need to live in that promise that he's here. If he's here, he's here to heal you. If he's here, he's here to empower you. If he's here, he's here to deliver you. If he's here, he's here to set you free. If he's here and you need a Savior, he is here to save you today. He is here. That is the greatest reality we have when we gather in his name. Colossians chapter 1 Verse 27, our hope, laid out for us again. Colossians 1, 27. Listen to the promise that he gives us there. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ where? Not out on a mountaintop somewhere. Not locked up in Jerusalem. Not held in a church building. Christ in you. Do you realize that Jesus... By the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, when we trust Christ as our Savior, comes to dwell in us. As sinful and as screwed up and as messed up as we are, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's the hope of glory. Someday, all of us, chances are, are going to sit in front of a doctor and we're going to have a doctor deliver news to us that we would just as soon not have. And our blood pressure is going to spike when we get that news. And they're going to tell us there's something wrong in our body that we didn't want to hear was wrong in our body. But do you realize what he's saying here? Christ where? 
in you the hope of glory. He is saying that in spite of what may be wrong with our body, there is a greater, truer reality than whatever it is that's in our body because whatever the illness is in that's in our body, Christ is in us. And because of that, we have the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is also pointing to the greatest hope we've got, and that is the hope of the glory of the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see, we carry around in us that hope, and it is the hope that He is coming again. You see, every morning we can wake up with the anticipation of the hope that perhaps maybe today is the day that He is going to come again. I didn't know this till years ago, but when Christians are buried, if you'll ask funeral directors, in a Christian burial, they always bury the body with the face facing the east. Why do we bury with the face facing the east? Because the scripture says that when Jesus comes again, he's going to come from the eastern sky and is the sense that they're being buried in anticipation of that day when the archangel is going to sound the trumpet and the call of God is going to ring out and the eastern sky is going to split and Jesus is going to come and call all of his folks to himself. It is anticipation. Folks, when we lay someone who knows Jesus to rest, we're just laying them down, getting them ready for when Jesus is coming again. Oh, my gracious, hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb. He is coming again. I'm sorry, I get excited when I talk about Jesus coming again. You think I'm jumping now, you're going to be embarrassed when he comes again. Glory to him. He is coming again, and that is that hope that we have. Now, how does that hope show up in our lives? Number one, it shows up in a deep inner peace, a calm quiet that he gives us. It shows up in a sure smile. It shows up in an energy to live and engage the purpose of God for your life. And it shows up in what the Bible says is joy unspeakable and full of glory. It shows up when we worship Him and you experience His presence. And notice what he says next based on that joy. He says, I want you to be patient in tribulation. The idea there is to stand your ground to endure. Just like you saw those news reporters last week in the middle of those hurricanes out there, standing their ground as best they could in those winds. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation, excuse me, Romans chapter 5. We're in chapter 12. Just flip back a few verses, excuse me, a few chapters to Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 3. Notice the progression that he's going to use here. Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Now, you can write under the word endurance there, maturity. The reason God allows suffering, what is He doing in suffering? He is producing maturity in us. He is growing us. He is developing us. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. When God takes you through a time of suffering, 
It's not because He's just taking you through it to be taking you through it. He is producing within you maturity. The maturity is going to manifest itself in character. Most of us do not develop character during the easy times of life. We grow the character and God grows the character in us during the difficult times of life. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. Now follow me on what I'm about to say. Notice what he says here. The character produces hope. I want you to say that with me. Character produces hope. The reason in our country today I believe that we are losing hope is that we are losing character. And because we are losing our character, we're losing our hope. So the Lord's going to take us through times of suffering to produce that maturity, that endurance, which in turn is going to produce within us the character, and the character is going to produce hope in us, that expectation that God is at work. But he doesn't stop there because he goes on to talk in the next verse about what he accomplishes as he does that. Verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, as the character is produced and then the hope comes in our lives, we engage and we experience the love of God. So if you and I want to fully experience the love of God, not just talk about it and sing about it, we want to fully engage in the depths of our souls what it means for God to hold us and to love us and to cherish us. It means we've got to go through this process. We're going to have to suffer. We're going to have to mature. We're going to have to have character produced. We're going to have to then latch hold of the hope He's given us. And then in the expression and in living out of that, we have the joy that He's got. Notice the final thing He says here, the final challenge. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. In other words, stick at it. Stay at it. Why? Because you've got the hope of knowing God is listening. God is going to show up. And God is going to act. Now, I want you to write down two words. Direction and peace. Direction and peace. When Paul says here, I want you to be constant in prayer. The purpose of being constant in prayer, staying at it in prayer, is because God wants to produce within us two things. He wants to give you His peace. Passes all understanding, the Bible says. His peace, the word there means shalom, wholeness. And He wants to give you direction. A lot of times when we pray, we do what? We pray for an answer. God, I want an answer. God wants to give you not an answer. He wants to give you His peace. And He wants to give you His direction. Let Him give you His peace. Let Him give you His direction. And then you'll get the answer. See, a lot of times when we go to the Lord in prayer, what I need more from God than just an answer, I need the peace of God in me. And that's what He wants to produce. And that's why He says, I want you to be constant in prayer. 
Sue Beckett did this abstract painting. She started out with canvas and had to pick the colors that she was going to use. And as she began to paint, this was the result. Look how it just stands out on the canvas. When he says to be constant in prayer, he's saying to us that in the place of prayer and staying at it in prayer, not these drive-by prayers, but staying at it in prayer with God, we're choosing the colors that are going to be on the canvas of our life. We're choosing what's going to be painted. That we don't have to sit back in life and just let anybody come up and anything come up and put on our lives whatever it wants to. That with God we are able to choose the colors of hope to paint our lives. About 50 years ago there was a young lady... Her name was Johnny Erickson. And she, like so many young ladies, like she was late teens, early 20s, full of life and energy. She loved to swim. She went out to swim one day like she'd done many times, and she went to dive. When she di went to dive, she did not realize that the bottom surface of where she was diving was shallower than what she anticipated. She dived and went down and hit the ground level far sooner than she had anticipated and immediately experienced paralysis from the neck down. She would begin a journey for the rest of her life as a quadriplegic, living her life from a wheelchair. She shares in a recent story how after surgery and so forth, suffering was more than she could bear, realizing what her life would be like from this point on. And she began to sink into a suicidal type of depression. She had a friend that said to her, why don't you get your Bible out and find the promises of God and live in them? And she said she realized that the Bible for her had always been sort of a how-to manual. It just sort of used it to get yourself out of the jam. But now she was at a place in life where she realized it's got to be more than a how-to manual. It's got to become promises that I am living in. And so she began to grab a hold of God's Word. And the verse that she grabbed a hold of first was Psalm 119, verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise has given me life. Your promise has given me life. And she said, God began to teach me that the Bible was more than just a how-to manual. It was the meat and the drink of my life. It was giving me life. It was giving me hope. She found the will of God from her wheelchair in the hope that God had for her. You and I will live out the will of God as we live in the 
hope that he's got for us. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you this morning, the powerful, precious name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has come and the one who has promised us he is coming again. Lord, teach us to live not in wishful expectation, but in the promises of God that are yes in Jesus. Thank you that Christ is in us the hope of glory. And Lord, thank you that through the suffering you are producing in life, character, endurance, hope to experience fully your love for us. Lord, just help us to show up in life and run with you in what you're doing. Lord, help us to live in your hope with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. In just a moment as we sing, if you're here today and you have never begun to experience that hope because you've never given Jesus Christ your life, and today you're willing to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to give you all that I am. The good part, the bad part, the messed up part, the not messed up part. Lord, I just give it all to you. Then I invite you in a moment as we sing. Walk the aisle of this church. I would be so glad and happy to pray with you as you give your life to Jesus. If you sense that God is calling you to be a part of our church family, then we invite you to come and join here with us. Some of you, the Lord may be speaking to you and saying, I want you to be a missionary, or I want you to be in ministry of some type. Don't know exactly what it is, but I sense God's call. Why don't you surrender to that call today and make it public so that this congregation can begin praying for you and encouraging you in that. If you need to come and pray, the altar is open. We welcome you to do so. Lord, in these moments of our response to you, help us, Lord, to find the hope you've got for us. In Jesus' name, amen.